This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. The Charlotte Hornets finalizing a trade to send P.J. Washington to the Dallas Mavericks for Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and a first-round draft pick, according to Adrian Wojnarski's sources. Brian Geisinger, my man, at bgeist underscore bird, Pack Pride, 24-7 Sports, BuzzBeat Podcast. We got it all covered. So let's start with the breaking news, Mr. Geisinger. Um, what are your thoughts on the – I thought P.J. was going to be here. What are your thoughts on trading P.J. Washington, and what do they get? Yeah, well, first off, uh, if, if Goodell, uh, with the thing you guys were talking about, Goodell, it'll be the first time he's covered for a, a billionaire. So um, <laughs> there, there is that. But, uh, no, um, you know, PJ was in an interesting place on the roster because they clearly have, like, a young group of talented players with Lamelo, Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, Nick Smith Jr., and then they had sort of like a, a cast of, of older guys that were potentially tradable pieces, Terry Rozier, Gord Hayward, who are both gone now. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Miles Bridges. And then PJ was sort of in between that. Like he's still in his like early to mid twenties, former first round pick, good player, very useful, can do a lot of things. And they re-signed him last summer to a, a, a pretty like a pretty good contract actually, one that clearly had a decent amount of trade value because they were able to get a, a, a first-round pick out of it, lightly protected first-round pick in 2027. And then Grant Williams, who was like, you know, Dallas's big off-season signing um, last summer as well, who's sort of struggled the last couple of months after mm-hmm. a good start for the Mavs. But, uh, you know, it's, look, I, I was a big fan of PJ. I think he's a really good player. I am excited to see him play with Luca, and I hope he gets the chance to show what he can do in the postseason because I think he has a game that's made for being on the floor uh, in the postseason. And the, the Hornets, they bring a couple hometown guys back in the steel, too, with Seth Curry and Grant Williams, both from uh, from Charlotte. Uh, look, uh, finally, Curry. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> Curry will play in Charlotte. That's great. Um, yeah. I, like, I don't hate this because I think both Curry and Grant Williams, if you are a good team, I think both of those guys are super useful as depth players, occasional starters, I really do. Uh, if well, you and, if you have a good team, I mean, a playoff team, I think those guys can be valuable pieces of it. And they're probably like a couple of years away from that. But Williams is young enough that he could be a part of the build going forward with them. Or like because he has a couple of years left on his contract, like they could look to flip Grant Williams for something else, like yeah. another draft pick in a, in, a, in a season or two. So like. That's the other way to uh, to do this. And I just got to say, like, these kinds of transactions for the Hornets, like, are, look, this has been a terrible season. It's been a bad run the last couple of years. But, like, these are the kind of, like, sort of uh, forward-thinking, you know, move a player to get a, to get a pick that we've seen with Rozier, P.J. Washington. Now we'll see what the final terms of the uh, Gordon Hayward to Oklahoma City deal look like. But, these are the kind of sort of like transactions I've been wanting to see from the organization for years now that we're sort of like looking beyond the scope of the, of the current season and sort of planning to, to build around a, a young team and get some, uh, you know, net positive first round picks in the door. Uh, one more thing about the Hornets before we turn our focus to NC state, the, um, 
uh, Miles Bridges, who had a monster night even in a loss, the uh, I think last night. Uh, they he basically said, "I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to veto any trade." So uh, the Hornets retain his bird rights, which basically means they can pay him more and give him more years, I guess, than anybody else. Uh, but this basically is paving the way for a sign and trade in the off season, or are the is Bridges going to be part of the core of this team going forward? Yeah, well, like this is tough because there's like a difference between what I want and what you know what could happen, which is like, I mean, I I I don't want you know Miles Bridges to be on the the Hornets anymore. I'm still sort of like odd occasionally that he's playing basketball currently. Right. Ba- yeah, um, based on what ba- based on what he did in his yeah. personal life. Yes. Yes, correct. On on multiple on you know, yeah. multiple occasions, multiple reports. Um. But yeah, no, I think it does. Like you're looking at this in terms of you know basketball terms, like yeah, I think it does set up for a, a sign and trade, and it, it's a process that uh, Clutch Sports and Rich Paul will have a lot of uh, say over, as they did uh, with uh, with them basically saying they would shut down any trade for Bridges at the deadline this year. Uh, They're able to do that because Bridges is playing on a, on a qualifying offer. Um, and would have lost his bird rights in a trade. So that, that's sort of like one of the protections that the uh, the league has in for certain players, I suppose. And uh, but yeah, my guess would be that this clears the way to that. And I'm hopeful that that's the case because I really think the Hornets need to shift the culture there uh, as they build around Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, and Melo Ball. And I don't think you can do that if this guy is still there. So I would just like for him to be away from the team that I cover, personally. <laughs> Brian Geisinger is joining us here on the Adam Gold Show. Buzzbeat podcast. Uh, you can see him uh, on Pack Pride's uh, post-game podcasts often. Um, so let me get to last night's loss to Pitt, which was disappointing. Kevin Keats was adamant that it was about free throw shooting. Uh, my pushback is, yeah, partly. Maybe twenty five percent free throw shooting. I think it was more about allowing a couple of offensive rebounds late, maybe missing a couple of defensive assignments late. And the truth is, you really only have one reliable perimeter offensive player in DJ Horn. Uh, I think it was more about other things than it was about free throw shooting. How did you see last night? Yeah, I guess in a, in a vacuum, last night could be about free throw shooting, but I think you have these, we have these conversations with with State a lot, right? So it's like you can't just narrow it down. It's not just one thing. And uh, if you sort of stretch it out over the course of a, of a full season, and you've just got a, a team that's limited in what it can do offensively, and to keep one of its better defense or one of its better offensive players in the court in DJ Burns, like they're a little compromised defensively with that. Little. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean you ever you know Jalen Lowe is a nice freshman guard, but he goes off and has a huge game for yep. Pitt last night. He's given a lot. Like he gave Duke trouble a couple weeks ago too. He's nice. Uh, Jeff Gable brought in two really good freshman guards this season with, with Bob Carrington and Jalen Lowe. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it has to do with the fact that this they have an offense that just has doesn't have that high of a ceiling, and they've tried to hang their hat on the defensive side of the court this season. But it's hard for them to sort of like always find the right mix of personnel without uh, also then sacrificing something on offense. So it's just like it is hard for them, I think, to consistently 
string together complementary basketball and play like strong two way games. And look, Pitt's good too. I think you agree with me on that. Like, I like them. They're Pitt, Pitt's got like they've got serious players on that roster, and, and Capel's a great coach. So, like in, in a vacuum, again, no shame losing to Pitt either necessarily. It's just like it's hard to ignore the context, which this feels like sort of a lost season despite the conference record in front of you know, how many couple of thousand people yeah. were there last night. So, um, look, I think Kevin Keats is a, is a good coach. I think he's done some nice things at state, but, uh, you know, they're just, in, it's, it's, it's not look it's not like in a great healthy spot at the moment, um, in terms of like where the, where the roster is and where it could be, uh, you know, in a few short months, which is like sort of what matters most, I think. No, there's no question. I know he was asked about the NCAA tournament. He didn't really answer the question last night about can they still get it. Um, you know, he sort of brushed it off and talked about, you know, bigger picture things, even though that's the bigger picture issue for mm-hmm. certainly for fans. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, they, they probably have to win six of their remaining eight games they got to win three of their remaining five games on the road and all three at home. Um, and they can win these games at home, uh, but ultimately finding wins at uh, at Carolina, at Clemson, at Wake, at Florida State, it, I mean, it's just not going to be easy to find a lot of wins there. Uh, and, I, yeah, I do th- – I, I wish D.J. Burns had had a – if he had last season, this season – I think maybe NC State would have been in a better position. I don't think I'm wrong in thinking that he has taken a significant step back. I don't care what the numbers say. Um, a significant step back. I don't think his conditioning is the same as it won last year, as it was last year. And he wasn't exactly Dwayne Johnson last year. I'll just uh, I'll leave it at that. But I didn't even bring it up before when Victoria asked me about is Kevin Keats on the hot seat, which I think the answer is yes, that unless Carolina's in the building or Duke's in the building and they'll be there at the end of uh, February, like, it's half empty. I mean, PNC Arena can't be – we can only have 10,000 people in there for a a basketball game. They have a great home court environment when there are, you know, fifteen to 18,000 people in the seats. I think that's a big deal. Let me get over to Duke with you real quick, Brian Geisinger. Uh, at guys underscore bird. So Adam Gold here with my man, Coach Pete DeRuta, Capital Financial Advisory Group. Are most of your clients hands-on or they just give you their money and let it work for them? About 90% give the money and then we meet every year and go through status reports, sure. have a financial pit stop, making sure everything's fine. It is like a puzzle, Adam, but for the next 10 of you, we'll solve your own retirement puzzle at no cost or obligation. Call and claim your comprehensive review with Coach Pete and the team, 888-843-0013, or text ADAM to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. Duke didn't shoot it well last night, but I appreciated the approach of driving as well as they did, 38 points in the paint. Thought their defense was good. Of course, it's, you know, you're grading on a curve because Notre Dame is a terrible offensive team. But is it fair for me to still be concerned because there's something up with Kyle Filipowski? You know, I, last night was not like a super, like, encouraging performance from Duke. Uh, I mean, I guess you don't take any. Uh, you know, any ACC wins for granted, like they all count sort of yeah. the same, right? I mean, that's not entirely true. 
but uh, in terms of the win-loss column, I, I guess they do. Yes. Um, I think if you want to, like, look at the glass-half-full approach, it's like Duke can still win despite having a, a you know, by his standards, like a, a not-great Kyle Filipowski game. And yet, despite that, like, despite him not being at anywhere close to his best last night, Duke was still plus 19 with Filipowski on the court, and he almost had a double-double. Like, yeah. he's that productive and talented uh of a player, I, I really would. I mean, like it's easy for me to say uh, as someone who, when especially you know looking back, as someone who had had, a, had like a, a bit of a could be a hothead when I play basketball. But like, <laughs> I would love for him to just like stop focusing on the refs. Like he had, I was at Cameron last night. Um, the amount of like conversations he had with like John Gaffney, you know, during timeouts, and right. I think some of that is like good back and forth and. In good transparency, you know, why why'd you call this? Why'd I get whistled for this? But I just would, like, if he can just focus on the game, like, in most in most matchups, he's the best player on the court, and he's a total matchup breaker. Like, he's tough to, tough to handle. I thought, I thought Notre Dame did a good job against him last yep. night, like, when he, when he caught the ball in the short roll. Um, you know, Duke's been able to, you know, for two seasons now, to really, like, eat off that, eat off the lip. Making passes and finishes in the short in the short space and short rolls, none of that was there last night. Um, but yeah, so I, I would just say like they've got a lot of basketball left to be played. And if you get like the good version of of, uh, of Kyle Zelpowski, then then Duke is awesome. Like they're as good as if not better than any you know any team in the in the league, or they're right there with you know Carolina, I suppose. So my thought would be like he's got to get even a cold streak with with a shot. But I would also, just from like the mental standpoint, um, I know teams are going at him. Teams are very physical with him. They're also yeah. trying to get him in foul trouble. It's got to be frustrating. But he's got to find some way to sort of like block that out because he's too good and, and too important for this team. Yeah, I, I just, uh, watching last night, it just seemed like nothing was coming easy for Filipowski. And I really thought in the uh, in the game against Carolina last weekend, uh, I, I didn't think Carolina would be able to guard him with Baycott. Uh, that Filipowski, when uh, when Baycott was on him, he would take Baycott away from the basket and he would be able to drive past him and force help and all of that. And he wasn't able to do that. Filipowski, I mean, did they double him? Sure. Did he take Baycott inside? But Armando was able to handle him one-on-one and make, it, and make life difficult. I really thought it was going to have to be the other way, that yeah. it was going to be Harrison Ingram that was ultimately going to guard uh, Filipowski because he's a more fluid athlete, but they didn't need Carolina didn't need to make that adjustment because Filipowski, n- again, nothing came easy for him, and it's been that way maybe since the game at Pitt when he careered. Oh, it was like four for four from three point range, and it was a run yeah. where he was like eight for his last ten. Uh, but they Duke Duke has to get a better version of him. I actually inquired as to whether or not he was hurt. Because it did look like he wasn't moving the same way, uh, they say banged up. Yeah, hurt. No. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it is probably something to consider with Slip, like this season at Duke and going beyond. Like he's obviously like a high usage player and like a very you know, he is a big time play finisher. Like he can really score and stuff like that. But the things that he does best are like it's out of that size and like it just is how skilled he is. Like the passing. The ability to make plays in space to handle, and so I do sort of think like you know when he if and you know when he transitions to the NBA, I still like him quite a bit as a uh, a draft prospect. Like 
he will be someone that comes in and like amplifies an offense, right? That being giving them some spacing, some passing, some shooting in the front court. And just asking him to do that, plus also like anchor their anchor their defense, mm-hmm. um, guard a ton of ball screens every game, and also be like a low post, a low post play finisher, a screen roll, dive finisher, a pick and pop shooter. Like he's just he's being asked to do a lot on both sides of the court. And like the team is designed for to be set up that way. Um but I do sort of think that like it, it's sort of asking him to it's sort of asking him to do something that like takes occasionally takes him away from doing what he does best, which is sort of like I think like give an offense flow and help get guys open with his ability to like pass from the high post. Mm-hmm. Like, when they were at their best last night, it was, you know, flip at the elbow or flip above the break and they're running flare screens for Jared McCain. And, you know, Mark Mitchell slipping those, you know, setting those flare screens, McCain's getting a three, or, or Mark Mitchell slipping and diving to the rim for a dunk, or he's getting fouled. And, like, that's when they're at, that's like when they're at their best, not when they're just trying to, like, throw it to flip in the post and, like, see what, he, see what right. you know, what offense he can generate. Um, and the big thing, like, I tweeted this out, like, he took four pick and pop threes in the UNC game gold. He missed all four of them. Yep. But they were all wide open, wide open, like little to or no contest whatsoever. And like that's the thing, like if he makes two of those, that game's totally different. And who knows? Like maybe if he makes all of those, that geeks out Hubert Davis enough where he says like we need to be able to switch these screens. Yeah, and that's the case. And you do end up with Harrison Ingram on Kyle Filipowski, so he can switch the screens or whatever. Um, but that didn't happen. Like they gave him those looks, and he just couldn't knock them down. And like. When they rematch in a couple of weeks, like we'll see because those looks will probably be there again against UNC scheme. What you're saying, I think, Brian Geisinger, is that it all looks different when the ball goes through the hoop. Uh, basketball can be such a simple game. Uh, Brian Geisinger, at Geis underscore Bird, 24-7 Sports, Pack Pride, uh, BuzzBeat Podcast. Uh, we, talk, we, we talked all the ball. Uh, my man, I'll talk to you next week. I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Absolutely. Who do you got? Chiefs or 49ers? Uh, I'm going to go Kansas City. Uh, my mom's boyfriend, Tim, big, big Kansas City fan. So I've, I've like, sort of de facto become a uh, KC fan uh, the last decade or so. Very so, nice. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go Kansas City. All right. Scientific way of selecting the Super Bowl. I appreciate it. Exactly. Uh, just, yeah. It's just as good as, uh, you know, I like the color. I like the color yellow. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Yep. Brian Geisinger here, you too, uh, on the Adam Gold Show. Are you ready to buy or sell your home? The Jim Allen Group is a nationally recognized and award-winning real estate team in the Triangle, dedicated to providing exceptional service to meet your needs. With the latest insights and expert market knowledge, they'll make your home buying and selling journey as smooth as possible. Don't wait. Head over to JimAllen.com and start your next move today. That's JimAllen.com. The Jim Allen Group, your partner in real estate.